open your Bibles or Bible app to the book of Revelation as we continue there. Uh, so today marks the uh, two-year anniversary that we started this uh, series we called 2020. And that in 2019, December, we had no idea what 2020 would bring. Uh, but the reason we called it 2020 was because uh, it, it refers to good vision. And so we're looking for good spiritual vision. And so we started at the very beginning of, of the word and just looking for the scarlet thread, that one scarlet thread of the gospel throughout. Uh, so we find ourselves in Revelation today, and uh, remember chapter 1, it, it laid the foundation, uh, giving at least 12 different descriptions of Jesus that are then revisited in the introduction to these letters to seven churches. Uh, today we, we look at the letter to the Laodiceans, uh, and we always have to keep in mind, as believers... We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the church. And so each of these early churches can represent you and me. Where do you see yourself? Are you like the Ephesian church who lost their first love? They were only going through the religious motions with no heart behind the work they were doing for the kingdom of God. Maybe you're more like Smyrna, commended for their willingness to believe Jesus is Lord no matter what consequences that brought. I see the, the, the Smyrna church represented our brother and sisters, brothers and sisters in other parts of the world uh, where their faith in Christ puts their lives on the line daily. And, and while we do go through our fair share of trials, uh, persecution is, is likely on the horizon for us here in the U.S. And so we must keep the faith, we must hold fast, we must continue to trust. Maybe you're here and you're like Pergamos. The compromising church, blind to the truth that only one can hold first place in your heart. It cannot be Jesus and anything. Thyatira is known as the corrupt church. And even though they looked all good on the outside, their lack of holiness made them corrupt. And much like the book of Jude that we looked at just a few, a few weeks ago, Thyatira is not called out necessarily for doctrine, but for a lack of holiness. Theirs was because of, a, because of sexual immorality. And the truth is, uh, that may be where our lack of holiness comes, sexual immorality, but it may not be as well. And sexual sin is grave, and it does great damage, but so does all sin. And so we have to be careful not to point out other people's sins and not allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and to acknowledge our sin for what it is. We always have to be checking our own lives for holiness, not legalistically, uh, not because we have to say, stay so regimented and follow the rules to somehow earn our salvation, because that's what good Christian boys and girls do, but because we love Jesus, because we're th so thankful for what God has done for us, that we want to obey Him in our hearts, and we see holiness as an opportunity to worship Him for all He's done, and an opportunity to grow in our faith. Where do you see yourselves? Amongst the descriptions of these early churches. Maybe if you're honest, you re relate more to Sardis, the dead church. We have talked about uh, some of these things that kill a church. Um, research says that 4,500 churches closed in 2019, while only 3,000 started new. And I'm sure that post-pandemic numbers will be even worse. These are heartbreaking statistics. Uh, and, and so we must be on the lookout for things that cause this slow slide into ineffectiveness and death for a congregation. 
But if we look at it from an individual standpoint, where we are the church, those same things that bring death of a church can also apply to us as individuals. I've noticed that a dead church looks a lot like a loveless church in some ways. What do we do when we find ourselves lifeless? Well, the Word of God tells us to hold fast, to repent. Uh, Practically, that may mean making some significant changes in our lives. Rearranging our schedules to make time with God priority. Because we know that it's there that we will find life. Maybe we need to turn off the TV and open the Word of God. Make the commitment today to start back towards the life Jesus gives. Um, You know, I I was thinking of it like this. If any of us decided to build a new house, uh, we would see it through to completion. Because it's a house. It's important. Even though it was a long-term commitment, we, we would see it through to completion because it's, it's a house. It's important. Some of us need to take on that same, that same outlook with our spiritual lives. Uh, make the commitment to determine in our hearts to head in the right direction toward faith because it is most important. More important than anything else. Last week we looked at the letter to the Church of Philadelphia. Uh, The faithful church. And uh, while it didn't appear to be strong on the outside, uh, this church had an opportunity. Jesus, the one who opens and closes doors, had given the people of Philadelphia an opportunity to stand on the truth that will prevail. The truth that Jesus is Lord. We saw a stance upon this truth. With it comes protection and honor and stability. It comes with a new name. It comes with Jesus claiming us as his own. We are assured that the life of faith will be worth it one day. And so again, we must hold fast. That reminder that I've been seeing over and over and over again. Hold fast. Continue to move forward in our faith. Uh, Today we look at the last of the letters, Revelation 3.14. This is again the church to Laodicea, the lukewarm church. Let's start here in, in the word of God. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you, will, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as also I overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So as we have done with all these other letters, let's look and see how Jesus is described. Go back to verse 14. Uh, These things says the Amen. Jesus is the Amen. Now we are familiar with that word. It means, so be it. We use it at the end of a prayer to confirm what has been said is solid and true. 
So what's significant about Jesus being the Amen? Well, first of all, it's the title of God in Isaiah 65, 16. It's translated as God of truth, but the word is Amen. So as the Amen, Jesus is identifying himself as the God of truth. As we've seen over and over and over, Jesus is God. Secondly, uh, we already know that Jesus is the Word of God. John 1 tells us that. Uh, what our words are to each other, Jesus is to God as, as His Word. Uh, Jesus speaks God's Word. He tells His true feelings about us and about sin and about uh, many different things. God communicates His love and acceptance and forgiveness and grace and mercy through Jesus. God communi communicates the gravity of sin through Jesus. God communicates his absolute holiness through Jesus. So as the amen, Jesus continues to affirm God's word. What he says is true. What he says is solid. What he says is firm. Every word, every lesson, every story, every truth, every promise. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in Jesus, in him, are yes, and in him, amen. To the glory of God through us. So what that means is his word is full of promises. And as his, his children, we can claim each and every one of those because of what Jesus has done. So the amen blends well with the next name. Verse 14 again. These things says the amen, the faithful and true witness. Now remember from our first week in Revelation, uh, the significance of that title Witness is at least twofold. Uh, the word for witness is martus, martus. Similar to our word martyr, it carries a legal definition of one who testifies and a historic definition of one who is watching. And so we see, we saw then, uh, Jesus has been watching, he's been witness to everything that has happened in human history. And even before that, he has seen it, and when he comes back, he will testify. John 18, 37 says that's why Jesus came, to testify of the truth. And when he returns, he will be the key witness, the expert witness. It will be his testimony that convicts or acquits every human soul. It will be his testimony that sends Satan and his demons to hell forever. And so we saw, we've seen the faithful witness, he has great power. We've also seen that, that this isn't written so that we'll be afraid. Because if we know him, look at what 1 John 2 says. Written to believers, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. That word advocate, it means one who is summoned to one's side as in a courtroom. So this is who Jesus is on your behalf. If you have trusted in him with, with your, in your heart what he did on the cross, if you are his child, this faithful witness testifies of the truth. He stands by your side because he is the truth. John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. He is the most powerful key witness and he pleads my case. He pleads your case before the judge in the heavenly courtroom. Can I just say this? God is not mad at you. Some, some, some may just need to hear that. 
Uh, you know, a lot of times we look at our relationship with God like we look at earthly relationships, like we might look at our relationship with, with, with our kids. When they do something uh, that makes us mad, we, we want to react. And many times that reaction is not godly. God's not like that. In our advocate, in Christ, this faithful and true witness, we see the compassion and the great lengths that he would go to to restore us back to him. Jesus is faithful and true. I think this next one's my favorite of, of all these here in, the, in our verses. Uh, verse 14 again. Uh, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Now, we've kind of seen this before as well. Uh, when we see that word beginning, uh, we don't look at, it in terms of, look at it in terms of time, but in terms of rank. The definition of that word beginning has a couple that I think could apply to Jesus here. Of course, it means that Jesus is preeminent, and you can write that down. Jesus is preeminent. He is, his superiority and sovereignty is above all else. Ephesians 1, 21, uh, Jesus is far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And so there is no doubt Jesus is of highest rank. But another definition that I think uh, could apply here, uh, he is the active cause. The active cause. Uh, that phrase, beginning of the creation of God, verse 14 that we just saw, is translated as the originator in other translations. The originator. It confirms Colossians 1.16. Uh, for by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or power. All things were created through him and for him. And if we continue to verse 17, it just confirms both of these definitions that we've seen, all these definitions we've seen here. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. So think about this. Jesus is the beginning. Genesis 1-1, we're familiar with it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Jesus, God created the heavens and the earth. So church, from the moment that time begins, we see Jesus. Three words into the word, here is Jesus. And he's pointing, pointing us to his coming, as we saw in the New Testament. The active cause, the originator, the one above all others. This is significant for us, but it may have been even more so for the Laodiceans. Uh, history tells us that Laodicea was a wealthy city. They were creators themselves. Uh, their main export was an eye salve and this black wool cloth. And the revenue that they generated from these two things, it made Laodicea the wealthiest city in the region. Now, 1 Timothy 6.10 says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and we have probably witnessed it in our hearts, what uh, the love of money can do to us. Um, we become self-sufficient. Pride begins to well up. We begin to take credit for everything we have. And then a need for God, who gave us every penny, just tends to fade away. Where this church in Laodicea found itself. Wealthy, productive important and no need for God. And so the true witness is about to tell them the truth 
about their spiritual condition. Verse 15 again. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. The Word of God describes three different spiritual temperatures. In Luke 24, 32, the, the apostles on the, on the road to Emmaus said that their hearts burned within them as Jesus walked with them and, and taught them. Uh, as a sign of the end times, Luke 24, 12, Jesus described hearts of many growing cold. So burning within them and cold and then lukewarm right in the middle <clears throat> here in Revelation 3. So why does God prefer hot or cold? I think uh, it, because if, if we're hot, then everybody knows it. If, we, if we're on fire for the Lord, uh, we, we just kind of emanate the gospel. People can tell there's something different about us. Similarly, when we meet someone who is not a Christian, someone who is cold, we can tell. Someone who's luke, who is lukewarm makes Jesus look bad. The next blank's in your outline. Lukewarm makes Jesus look bad. They misrepresent the gospel because we cannot have an encounter with Jesus and it not affect us. The encounter will change our spiritual temperature. If we claim to know him but then act no differently than those around us, lost people will be turned off from the gospel. And so that's why God prefers one or the other. The, uh, the coldest water that I've ever jumped in was in, uh, in Colorado at 12,000 feet. Uh, the lake was, was snow-fed. And, and let me tell you, uh, when you jumped in there, you could feel it. The hottest water that I've ever been in was probably, it was also in Colorado, um, Mount Princeton. Uh, it's naturally, there's a hot spring there, naturally 105 degrees. And, and I'll, let me tell you, when you jumped in, you could tell it. The thing about, being, uh, about lukewarm don't feel a thing. It's the same temperature as everything around it. Now, we know uh, the water in Laodicea, it wasn't drinkable. And they were situated between two different cities, Colossae and Areopolis. And so they piped water from both cities. Uh, Colossae's water came from a cold spring. Areopolis's water came from a hot spring. But by the time it got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. And so this imagery would have spoken, resonated with the original, original readers. Most of us don't order a lukewarm cup of coffee or tea. It's either hot or cold. That's the way God prefers our hearts. And so if the faithful church is on fire for the Lord and the dead church is, is, has grown cold, then what causes it to be lukewarm? What causes us to be lukewarm? I think in one word, it's complacency. Complacency. We get comfortable where we are. We don't want to move forward. We just want to blend in with everything around us. Apparently, this church's spiritual temperature was the same as everyone else around them. How's yours? What's, what's your spiritual temperature? Is it the same as people who don't even know God? Are you, are you right in between? How did they get there? How do we get there? Well, if you think about it, if, if you don't add wood to a fire, it's going gonna, it's gonna to go out. 
Similarly, if, uh, if you unplug the refrigerator, the coldness, we're gonna, you're going to lose that coldness as well. It takes something outside of itself in order to fuel the cold or the, or the fire. And so this is the same way. Jesus is the something outside of ourselves that it takes to fuel the fire. And it says that he stood at the door and he knocked, wanting to come in, but they wouldn't open the door. See, church, if we try to maintain a fervency for the Lord without the Lord, it will not work. If we become a closed system and we don't allow Jesus to come in and have his free reign in the church, in our lives, we will grow tepid. Verse 17, you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. You don't know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And so God says to these believers, you think you're good? No. You're wretched. You think you're satisfied? No. You're miserable. You think you're rich? No. You're poor. You think you can see? No. You're blind. You think you're presentable? No. You're naked. This wasn't good news for the church of Laodicea. A lot like the Pharisees. They had it all together on the outside. They were good at playing church, but it was all lip service. And they were not allowing the gospel to do its ongoing work in their hearts. A few weeks ago in our Wednesday night study, we were looking at the names of Jesus. And uh, that night it was Alpha and Omega. The first and last letters of the Greek al- alphabet. We've talked about it already here in Revelation. It was interesting, as we studied that night, uh, the question was asked. Okay, so how do we prevent Jesus from being Alpha and Omega? Because when we looked at that definition, we saw, okay, so he's first, he's last, and he's everything in between. How do we prevent Jesus from being Alpha and Omega in our lives? When we start the day with Alpha, Lord, Help me to have a good day. And we even end the day with Omega. Lord, thanks for the good day. Everything in between is not the Lord anymore. What are you doing with the in-between? What am I doing with the in-between? The time we interact with others, the time we are to live on mission, the time we are to further the kingdom of God. What are you doing with the in between? You're truly letting Jesus be who he is throughout the day. Laodiceans were not. They were lukewarm and it made the Lord sick. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Church, what we see here, there is a price to pay for following the Lord. Not the price for my sins. It's already been paid for by Jesus. But there, there is a cost to following Jesus. The next blank on your outline. There is a cost to following Jesus. That cost may be our comfort. What has God asked you to do lately that's out of your comfort zone? Jesus is knocking. Let him in. That cost may be our desires. Sin can be very enticing, but God promises to give you a way of escape. Jesus is knocking. You're letting them in. The cost may be persecution if and when it hits home. Are we preparing for that now? Because we never know when it will come. 
Are we growing in our faith now to become strong? Come what may. Jesus is knocking. Let me move. Verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Listen to the grace in those words. Jesus still loves us, but he calls us to repentance. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcome and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let the spirit, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. I love how it's been said, the last blanks on your outline. Jesus knocks and we invite him in. The dining room becomes the throne room. The dining room becomes the throne room. By letting Jesus in, we see victory. We overcome. And as we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes and answer a couple of questions that we always like to answer. What has God said to you this morning? And what are you going to do about it? Church, it's time that we evaluate our hearts against the, the seven conditions of the church. I think we automatically want to want to put ourselves in the faithful church category. But before we do, let's have a serious heart-to-heart with the Father. Have you lost your first love? Are you compromised? Is there anything in your life that would be considered corrupt? Maybe you're just dead. Maybe you're here today and you need to let him in for the first time. Maybe you just need to allow him back in. It's not that you've lost your salvation, but that you've grown lukewarm. You want your heart to burn for him again. He who has an ear, let him hear. Spirit is saying to you. We go into our time of invitation. The altar will be open. Need to come and pray. Spend time in worship. Who Jesus is. Lord, we invite you to come. Standing. Receive.